Welcome to Beat to Real Talk, where we talk to an interesting. Mm, let me run that back. <laughs> All right. Welcome to another episode of Beats and Real Talk, where we talk to interesting people of color in music, film, and everything in between who are proactive about pushing the culture forward through their creative efforts. I am Danny, the filmmaker repping Philly and living the ATL life. This is Mr. Coleman, ATL, represent 404 all day. Um, how you doing today, Danny? Hey, I can't complain. It is another beautiful day and we're having this conversation so that means that we were blessed to see another day and i can't complain about that sir yes yes definitely so much uh negativity and bad things going on it's just you know that's what this podcast is about just giving people something to you know positive to hold on to and to to listen to creating that that positive content so uh yeah so um we are um, in um, part episode, well, I guess part two of our entrepreneur series. Uh, last week we spoke uh, with um, Snoop Dillard, who is owner of Escobar uh, Restaurant and a, a slew of other restaurants and salons here in Atlanta, along with her part, uh, business partner, Two Chains. And um, during the conversation, you know, we it was brought up of about you know, why aren't enough more black people going in tech? And so that kind of led us to our, our special guest we have today, uh, Mr. Don Pottinger. How you doing, Don? Hey, hey, I'm doing great. Good, good, man. We're happy to have you here on Mr. Real Talk. Uh, and so, yeah, Don is someone I've known since uh, middle school. Um, and I think just as long as, since I've known him, I mean, that's he's always been involved some somewhat in in computers or something like that um you know as long as i've known him and so um that has really taken him to where he is today he's uh, a graduate of georgia tech he um is uh ceo of lithium labs am I, am I pronouncing that right yeah lithium labs lithium labs all the same thing okay cool lithium labs mm-hmm. uh and this primary uh, and lithium labs uh helps businesses sell uh with product um automation predictive predictive analytics marketing automation artificial intelligence and the primary product is kevy which is a marketing uh automation platform for e-commerce retailers he's also the co-founder of body boss he is a fitness guru um and a hell of a soccer player uh for my ad to myself (laughs) and um he's also a customer engineer at google which is something we want to talk about because a lot of times we see people who like have businesses and like they don't tell about the side where they, you know, still have to have their own business while working, you know, for someone else, which is nothing wrong with that while you're still grinding to get where you want to be. So, um, so yeah. Um, and he's a father of four, uh, I believe four, right? Yep. Four. Father of four, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a beautiful wife, cat. Um, and, uh, so yeah, uh, welcome Don. I appreciate you coming, uh, on the show, man. Thank you for having me, man. No problem. It's really great to be here. Thank you. No problem. Yes, I'm totally psyched. I'm geeked. You know, pun intended. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that was just such a corny joke, but it it, it was good. I was able to fit it in. 
So um, many of us, uh, especially a lot of the uh, youth, spend hours upon hours on our cell phones, you know, iPads, computers, you name it. Um, but we're only about, if I'm, I believe, one to two percent uh, of people in, that look like us that are working for major tech companies. So how can we get our youth within our community, this next generation to get excited or how, what can we do to get them into that world of technology? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and I can look back at when I was growing up. Um, so I, I grew up in South DeKalb, which is predominantly African-American black uh, suburban community. And um, we, you know, this was the nineties. So there were some computers, but the internet was just starting to get into uh, households. And I remember um, my dad was actually in computers and he, he started that career later in life. And he introduced that to my brother and me um, when you know we were preteens and we learned how to build a computer together. We learned how to, you know, the first coding language I ever used was QBasic on MS-DOS. And, you know, I was in my neighborhood, I was the only one that I knew of that was exposed to those sort of things at a young age. Uh, now it's a bit different. You know, there are a lot more tools, the, the internet is everywhere and you can access it on your phone. And, um, but most people still are in, are using the phones as a consumption rather than to produce whether it's producing, you know, they may be producing content or producing um, an app or a business. And so it, it's partly access to resources, which is better now than it was, um, but it's also partly a mindset of, you know, knowing it's okay to try something new and break things and, and stumble and, and really, you know, sometimes fall on your face while you're trying to build something. Um, and so it's, it's a multifaceted problem that I believe, you know, in my case, it began at home and yeah, you know, I would share whatever I learned with kids in the neighborhood. And so they viewed me as like the computer kid in the neighborhood. Um, but it's something that, you know, is, is more ubiquitous now than it ever was, but there's a bigger gap now than there ever was, um, between the haves and the have nots. And so it's about bridging that gap and how do you do that? And that's a, that's a really tough, really tough question because there's so many things that are preventing us from, from, um, you know, the interview process. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of engineers out there, black engineers, people of color, um, to the, 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 the economic disparity, the, the education disparity as well. Oh, yeah, I totally have to agree. It's all about access. You know, that starts, it starts at home. Yes, and it's also about access. If you don't have the access or if you don't see people that look like you that's doing it, then once again, that's another uh, determinant that doesn't get people like us within that field. So I'm glad that we were able to connect with you once again to get you on so that we can present that and say, hey, look, we have people that look like us that's within this world and you can do it too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You, and, you, and you hit a really good point in terms of seeing people that look like you that are doing that thing. You know, 
Um, if you don't see people that look like you that are in this field, whether it's engineering or um, product management, design, sales and marketing, um, all of that, you know, you see, you see certain types, archetypes that are pushed out in media about what that person or, you know, whether it's a, uh, a white male or just a male in general, um, it can make it very right. difficult for you to say, okay, I can see myself doing that. Uh, so I think it's important for those people that have, that are in the field to get out there and get, be with the kids and, and mentor and, and show them, you know, doing office tours, for example. So um, when we were able to go into the office, having, I'd have um, students from Atlanta area schools coming and touring the Google office so they can see, oh, wow, this is a real thing. The, the Google that I use on my phone um, is actually here in Atlanta. And, mm. and these are the people that work in Google. And wow, there are, there are tons of black people here in the Google Atlanta office. Um, oh. And so seeing that is empowering. And, you know, even if you, you can't really go for something that you don't know is possible in many ways. So knowing it's possible is the first step. That's wonderful to know. That's wonderful to know. Now, the Google Atlanta, is that the one that's off of North and near Ponce? So the one um, that I'm referring to is, is 10th and uh, West Peachtree. Okay. 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 All right. And um, now you said that, uh, you know, going back as a young guy now, I know that uh, you built your first PC at 12. Uh, you wrote your first program at 10. So like you said, you know, it, it started at home. It started at a very young age. And that's that's a great thing. You know, starting at you wrote your first program at 10 years old. Like what was I doing? Chris, what were you doing at 10 years old? Not, I wasn't writing no programs. <laughs> 10 years old. Um, yeah, I was playing basketball, playing video games. Um, you know. The video game that he was right. programming. Oh, well, I, <laughs> let me let me make sure. Let me make sure I set the bar really low. My first program was nothing like that. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, there was a long, long period of time where as a programmer, I felt quite inferior to other programmers. Mm -hmm. um, although I was exposed to it in early, at an early age, I was just of the mind that, hey, one, I'm, I don't think I'm smart enough to be a full-time software engineer or developer. Um, two, it was very rare that you saw someone that looked like me doing, doing these things. You know, although I was exposed to it at a young age, being able to program something simple is different from being able to build um, a complex application. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, finally, I was a kid too. So I was playing video games. Video games was that I was playing them on my computer, um, in part because we, we couldn't get all the latest video games we wanted. So we mm -hmm. would do whatever we could to get those computer games, you know, by any means necessary on our computer. And then uh, if there was a way for us to try to hack, hack the game a little bit to unlock features that we couldn't purchase, we would try to do that stuff as well. So I think you need some sort of medium to facilitate, you know, whatever, if, if you're a builder or you want to hack on something, or if you're, um, you know, into creating music, you need to have some sort of um, muse or goal in mind. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to build in a silo just to build. 
And I found that building businesses is one great way for me to take my passion for building and actually put it to good use. Otherwise, I don't really get as motivated to build things. Mm, okay. Nice. Nice last. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, um, you brought up a good point just now and kind of backtracking to before you know, the recording started, uh, you spoke about how you felt as though creatives like in music and film and tech are really kind of interrelated. And that's, I mean, I, I find that too, just be, I mean, if you look like the South by Southwest Festival, it's a music, film, and tech festival, right? Um, yeah, people like Jason Jeter, who was the CEO of Grand Hustle, uh, helped build TI's career. He, he started a new label called Heavy Sound Labs, which is a music and tech company. Where he's, he's like merging the two together, uh, which is pretty interesting. And yeah. even the way music and the way film, uh, film is put out, um, you know, I mean, there's so many careers in film that people have a tech background in, uh, especially in post-production, which I'm learning. I'm learning a post-production pro uh, program now um, called Avid. And so it's a lot, a lot of that's based uh, on that. So given that, like, do you feel as though um, in the current climate, like they're like, let's say a kid like, you know, or individual is interested in, in tech, like, do you, like, would you say there's, like a, a wide range of places that could take them. Like maybe you don't want to work for Google, but maybe you want to work in film or maybe, you know, like, would you say like during this current climate, there's the options are like, so are like wide open now. Yeah, definitely. And to echo your point, I feel like if there's not just a thread, but I feel like people in tech want to be like the people that are creatives musically or, um, artistically or in film yeah. and and the people that are designing whether they're designing graphic design or web design uh, a lot of times they want to be like the engineers yeah. that are building what they're designing Definitely. so there's this there's this desire to to live in both worlds and if you can find a way to utilize skills that you learn in one world and apply them to another uh, you have you pretty much have a superpower yeah and so whether it's, you know, if you're learning engineering principles and learning about things like in school, I learned about digital signal processing and you cannot ask me a question about that today. But if that was something that I could apply to being a sound engineer in a studio or when I'm creating music or um, doing post-production on film and audio, then that works really well. So yeah, there's, you know, when I say tech, I a lot of times, you know, that means more than just the Facebook, Google's, Apple's of the world. Yeah. There's just such a wide variety, a, t a crazy spectrum of what you can do within tech. Um, and I, there's this push to teach kids how to code now uh, when I think, yes, you should teach kids how to code, but you should also teach them what what are the possibilities of if you learn how to 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 to, to code or learning how to, you know, use logic that you can then apply in other fields, um, yeah. because a lot of the tools that you're using now, whether it's in film or in music, um, they require some level of, you know, understanding of logic and, and, and how systems work and, and, and being able to hack a little bit to make create new sounds or new effects. Uh, so yeah, there's there's definitely so much at so many op so much opportunity um, when you have that uh, when you have that skill set.
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's and you like you brought up a good point because I got I have this this program on my phone that breaks down like the basic levels of coding. And so like my three year old is like it's it's like a game. And so my three year old I have her play it just to kind of learn the basics just because I um I read an article with this young lady who was a uh, who was in tech and she was saying that the way that kids learn ABCs, numbers and shapes, that's how they should be learning coding um as well. Just because it's gonna be such a you know, with it's it's, it's becoming such a common use in so many fields. And so um I started like to, like having my daughter learn it. So like with that, do you think that um it's ever too late for someone to learn this skill? Um and and like, like, and what are your, what is your thoughts on these schools such as like General Assembly that like say they can teach you coding in like three months? Like, do you feel like those, those are like, I guess those are good things, or do you feel like, you know, it takes it's much more to it than that? Yeah. So the answer is a little bit complex. Yes, I think it's it's never too late to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it depends how you learn though. So as a kid, it can be much easier to learn how to swim or ride a bike than it can be if you're older or, um, you have less time or you have distractions. And I feel like when you can spend an inordinate amount of time investing in, into, in a craft Mm -hmm. that helps you get past a lot of the obstacles that you'll face. Um, so for me, an example is that I, I learned how to develop web applications after college. So during college, I didn't know what I was, I didn't know how to do that stuff. In high school, I didn't know how to do that stuff. Um, but I learned how to do that in part because I wanted to, I started a business with my brother and we needed to build um, apps. So I had, there were online tools to help me and I had a background in tech. So that helped me as well but it was still very hard. Um, and that's where these, you know, these schools come into play, um, like General Assembly and, you know, um, from the, the more recent ones like Lambda School, which is also kind of fully immersive, um, but instead of taking money up front, they, um, you pretty much pay back a loan, uh, which is a percentage of your income that you make from your job um, up to a certain amount. And so these schools, they really enable people to, that are not going to go the traditional track of, say, a four-year college to, to change careers, to learn, to learn how to code, to learn a skill, and to be effective in, in the job market um, in a limited amount of time. So I think you know, it's really important because we do need engineers, we do need developers, um, but it really is just the beginning of your career. Right. Uh, in, in that sense. So there's, there's plenty of room, I think, and, and I think there's plenty of need for people to do it. It's just some people learn better in the classroom. Some people learn better with um, a mentor and other students around them um, and, support, and a support system as well. So, you know, not everyone can do that. So there are also free resources that you'll find on, say, Khan Academy or Udemy or um, Code Academy, where you can hone your skills there. And also 
you know, build side projects on your own and plug into the developer community in whatever location you may be in. And that's a way, that's another way to go about it. And then there's also, you know, the, the traditional university track or college track. Um, and that has, you know, it's, it's upsides, but some of the downsides are that they can be very expensive. We feel it's very, can be very exclusive. Uh, so there are different ways to do it, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's, it's never too late to learn. I've met developers at age 50 and 60 that are just starting their careers wow. and doing really well. So yeah, mm. you can never, can never, never say never. I hear that. I, I, that's wonderful. That that gives a lot of people hope in regards to that field, definitely. And is as far as you you founded uh, Kevy in two thousand and fourteen, right? Yeah. So the timeline with Kevy is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I joined um, what was the original Kevy company. Uh, in, tw- in 2014 as an engineer. And um, I joined in part because I was going, I had the opportunity to work with uh, one of the preeminent entrepreneurs in Atlanta, uh, David Cummings, who sold mm-hmm. his company Pardot for almost a hundred million dollars. Oh, wow. So I wanted to get in on the ground level of his next company in order to really to learn as much as I could and also um, ultimately start my own company, um, maybe, you know, with what I've learned from him and maybe with some investment from him as well. Uh, so when I joined the company, they were actually about to pivot. And so they decided to scrap their original product and start a brand new product. And I had just come from um, a couple years of helping other entrepreneurs build their products from scratch. And so I was in a well, it was essentially a perfect position to help Kevy do do that very thing, um, and uh, ended up going from an, being an engineer to the director of engineering to the the chief technology officer of this new product company um, in a very short amount of time. And so I had the opportunity to to really learn and grow um, with the expectation of having an investor, you know looking looking over your shoulders like okay so how are we doing <laughs> um you know how's the product going or how, how are the sales numbers and so it was a really good learning experience for me um about 18 months after i we started that new product you know we were we were doing about 250,000 in annual recurring revenue so we had customers um and we were in the process of raising additional funding so from investors and we ran into some obstacles in part because of how the company was structured. Um, our main investor owned a very, the, the, the lion's share of the company, which was not normal for companies where you had a, the CEO and the CTO as the, the main co-founders that were building the product. Um, and also we had a non-traditional co-founding um, uh, leadership team so there was me, uh, a black man as a CTO, and um, uh, a, a woman, a white woman as the CEO. And so when we went into these investment meetings, they, if they had done their homework before, they were kind of, you could kind of see them look around like, oh, is this, 
are you are you the main engineer? Are you real? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's almost like you know, almost like they saw a unicorn, right? right. Uh, and then you have uh, a uh, a woman CEO, and they just couldn't. It really just wasn't, you know, believable. Really, yeah. yeah, and and they 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 looked at our numbers. They're looking at our product, and they it was almost like disbelief. Um, where if we we looked like the traditional mode of you know, white male CEO, white male CTO. Um, I don't think we would have had to jump through it, jump, jump through as many hoops as we did. And so mm-hmm. that presented a challenge for us along with the relationship that we had with our investor. And so it got, just got to the point where my CEO decided she, she'd had enough. She'd already founded another company on the side that was a marketing agency that was growing. And she decided mm-hmm. to leave for greener pastures. And so I was left in a position where I, could, I had the option to take over the company um, and pretty much be in similar, the similar position we were, just one co-founder down, or mm-hmm. I could go get a job. And I chose option C, which was uh, sit down with my investor and ask him for the company. And um, I think he was kind of surprised when I said, hey, I, I want to keep working on this, but um, I want to do it without you. Uh, mm. So um, after looking over things, he said yes. And uh, he, sold, he sold me the company for $1. So I took what, what was um, a company that was making $250,000 and I, got, I acquired it for $1. So everything that I built um, was 100% mine. So Wow. Um, um, it was it was it was crazy at the time because I had never run a company by myself before. Right. I'd never taken that full leap of not being employed while working on a company. And so in 2016, I I had a company. I was literally the only person working on it. So whether that's building the product, maintaining it, supporting customers, selling, marketing, everything was on me. Wow. Uh, so it was uh, a lot. It was quite a lot. Yeah. Right. And that that comes a lot with, you know, being a entrepreneur uh, also, which also intertwines with being a struggling artist. You know, it all of that comes intertwined when you're trying to get somewhere, perfect your craft, then this is the struggles that you're going to have to go through and do a lot of things by yourself. Yeah. And. And you are, so you have this company and it's doing great. It's still in, uh, it's still active till this day. And now you have, uh, we have Facebook, okay? So you're, you're a, a, an enge- a computer engineer. So we have Facebook and I believe there's a little over 3% of blacks working for Facebook, the US Facebook uh, location, the brands. And uh, but Facebook has no rivals. Um, but, you know, back in the day and we still do, uh, we have Black Planet. So the question is, is we have a platform already for someone that looks like us that we would like to possibly rival Facebook. So as a computer engineer and with your knowledge in the tech field, how can a platform like Black Planet, uh, what can they do to pretty much uh, become a rival of Facebook, if that's even possible. Yeah. 
So if you, if we go back in time, and so I'm going back to when I was in college, I remember we had Black Planet, we had MySpace, uh, we had some other social networks that were kind of vying for our attention. And, um, you know, at, ultimately Facebook won out. Uh, and I think, you know, Facebook reached a critical mass where everyone that we knew was on Facebook. And then our, our parents and our grandparents were starting to get on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the younger generation was like, all right, this is, this is cool, but um, I, I'm going to need a place for myself. And so they started migrating to other platforms. And I think what we're seeing now is that people are more interested in having uh, a social network that is tailored for them. So mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of, I think there's plenty of opportunity for a social network like Black Planet that can take market share from Facebook that's tailored to people like us or people that are, um, you know, Latinx or people that are LGBTQ uh any of those things i feel like there's there there are different niches that you can carve out for yourself uh but you have to be i think you have to understand the needs the problems mm-hmm. that that niche is facing and mm-hmm. really meet those meet them where they where they what what they need uh in a way that the more general facebook or sometimes the the more um negative or uh uh, I guess you could also say very manipulative Facebook can do because mm-hmm. Facebook is optimizing for your eyeballs. So they want your attention um, mm-hmm. when you could find a more curated social network that is not just trying to get, get your attention, but trying to really evoke, you know, thought provoking posts, um, community discussion, uh, empowering the community and helping us better ourselves. So mm-hmm it's it's can be challenging because it's so easy to click on a link that is baiting us just to to get to get an emotion out of us um, right. but there has to be something you can only do that for so long before those links become you become you know numb to the to the noise and we've seen that you know over the past you know the past 4 years where we're we're seeing what is essentially um uh, a president that lives for outrage doing something new every single day and you can only take so much before you're like all right i need to cut i need to cut this out or it's bad for my own mental health um so right so so true yeah um yeah i think um and there's so many other like i, I saw this new one called like melanated peoples and um i, I kind of agree with what you're saying like there's so much just content on Facebook. It's just like, it can be overwhelming. It's, you know, there needs to be like more curated platforms just for more, you know, intentional, positive, you know, content. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. Um, yeah, that, and they have everything. You know, they have Instagram. I just, I didn't know the What's Up app is Facebook as well. What's that? Yeah, what's, yeah, WhatsApp is Facebook. Yeah, and- they... They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you can see their plan of trying to basically integrate every Facebook into everything. So anytime you go anywhere on the web, Facebook is tracking you and building 
um, a profile of you, you know, with all these data points that they can then sell to advertisers or uh, market things to you or get you to click things and, um, you know, WhatsApp, Instagram, um, all of those, all of those other social platforms that are, or messaging platforms that you think are safe are also being farmed. Your data is being farmed out and being added to that profile as well. So, you know, as we look forward, you know, to the future, it's not going to be land or, you know, um, cars or the stock you may own. It's going to be your data. That's going to be the most valuable thing that mm. you, that you either have access to ownership of, or you don't. Um, so that's going to be the trickiest piece as we move forward and, and really what is a data driven society. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've, uh, I've seen, um, just working on a, an advertising and stuff like, um, they have um i was in i remember last year i was working on this ad agency we had a, had a meeting and amazon was there and they were saying how they um like when you watch like Hulu, like let's say you're watching one tv your wife's watching another tv and your kids are watching another tv like watching something else like one product could send three different ads to each tv based on your profile so um like the client was um, like Toyota, so they're like, if maybe or like maybe like let's say like you you live on a street and your neighbor lives on the same street. Let's say your neighbor is single, so they'll send them an ad for like a Toyota Camry, but then so they'll send you an ad for a Toyota Rav Four because they know that you have a family. Like it's it's that specific. Like it's it's pretty, it's real scary, and um, you know. I kind of feel like it, it really unethical when, when you really gets down to it too, you know, um, just having that much information on people. So, yeah. Um, so I want to ask, uh, just pivoting a little bit, um, you being an entrepreneur, but then uh, you, you, you still, you're still running your company, but you're also at Google, correct? Yeah. So what happened was that um, in late, or August of last year, I sold that Kevy product. Um, I sold that to uh, another company or a venture company. And um, I still reserve, so I still get um, revenue. I get a percentage of revenue from the company, um, but I sold, I got out of the day-to-day piece of it. So running, managing um, the, the Kev- Kevy itself. Mm-hmm. And that was around the time that I joined Google. So I've been at Google for about a a little over a year. Um, So there was a period where I was taking a break. um, And that has recently ended. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's, um, and and I think that's good to highlight because like I was saying before, a lot of people um, just, when when you talk about entrepreneurship, a lot of people just see one side of it, but you know, there's, you know, this is, there's, there's a piece of it where, you know, maybe I still work for a company, but also still, still own my own company as well. Like there's, so that's, that's really good to know, like that you can still, there's, you know, you're still thriving and, you know, still learning on the Google as well. So like, do you, um do you see, cause I've heard great things about Google. Like, do you see any, um, 
any not necessarily challenges, but just as far as diversity and inclusion, um, when you're like going back and and because I know you mentioned like different, you know, how you were perceived when you were you know making pitches and people saw that it was a a black male and a white woman. Like um, working at Google, do you like do you feel as though um, and I, you know of course I mean that's you know you're not gonna bad my company, but do you feel as though like just working with someone else, like, do you feel like, are there tools and things you can see that, you know, let's say you, you decide to dig in and go day to day on another venture, like, that you can implement that they, that, like, things that you see that they do that you can implement to promote healthy diversity, like, under your company once you, you know, decide to get going again, like, on, on another venture? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good question, because to be honest, when I joined Google, my, my initial impression was, oh, my goodness, this is the most woke company I've ever worked, worked for. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, at the same time, the numbers are still really bad. And Google, you know, they'll be the first to acknowledge that, you know, they need to do better. Yeah. And um, a, a big part of that is the pool that they're interviewing from. Um, as someone that I, I've been doing interviews now at Google for about six months, and I can see the the the, the makeup, the demographics, demographic of the people that I'm interviewing, there's no way we can ever um, make up the the lack of uh, equitable um, inclusion and diversity that that Google strives for, uh, because we're just you know the engineers that we're pulling from, pulling from they're just not enough black candidates wow. uh, so in in the 6 months i've interviewed i've had one black candidate uh that i interviewed so it it's challenging yeah. it's challenging because you know they want to do better um they have plenty of initiatives where they're really you know working on recruitment and, and, and then they also have, you know, their, their business goals. So the business unit that I work in is Google cloud and we're the fastest growing part of Google. And so we're hiring like crazy and we're looking for established, experienced engineers and sales executives. And when you look at the pool of people that are, being interviewed they're coming from companies like microsoft they're coming from amazon they're coming from um all these other big tech companies where they have the very same problem so if your pool of candidates is from are from companies that have worse diversity numbers than you you're only going to get your numbers are going to not going to get any better right um, so that's really that's really a challenge and i know that um it's top of mind with, you know, not just the engineers or the leadership that's, that are, you know, people of color, but also everyone else. Um, but how you go about fixing it is, is the, is the challenge, right? Because I think you, you know, if I were to start a company, I would have to interview a much larger percentage of black candidates in order to, to keep, to keep um, you know, my company or to have 
a really strong numbers, diversity numbers in the company. And that's challenging. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who has a startup and they're growing and he's asking me, how do I, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing these black candidates and they may not have as much experience as the white candidates. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, they're like, I want to, I, I want to hire the black candidate. I'm like, just hire them then, mm-hmm. you know, but they're, right. they're, they're weighing that against the very specific experience they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And you can't get that specific experience if you don't get a shot at the, that job. Right. So it's, there you it's, go. it's this, it's a circular thing, this feedback loop where, you know, they, you know, everyone, we all make excuses. And in the end, those, the people that, you know, we, we probably should give a shot. We don't, we end up going for the safe bet. Um, yeah. Right. Yes. And you brought up a good point with the experience. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I read an article about this kid who he graduated from North Carolina A&T. Um, and, you know, um, he, he, I guess it was some type of like career fair, like tech career fair in, in California. And they were saying like, his portfolio and experience just as a graduate because he had he had already done like 15 internships while he was in school and his experience was his skill set was so good being a black male there was like a bidding war there was like facebook google microsoft um a couple other companies were like bidding for him and like he was pretty much naming his price and he ended up he ended up going with uh, microsoft but like looking back at it, it was probably probably because of that reason because they couldn't meet their quota with a black male and he had enough skill set to where they could you know justify hiring him. So that's uh, you know I think a, a big part of just being in school period is like just getting enough internship experience. I find um, you know that can really give you know black candidate end up to you know hey i have the experience look at look at all the what i've done and then you know so that's that's kind of what i take away from it yeah yeah so there's there's a i feel like there's a narrow window between you know oh this candidate checks every box but they also they may not because you know maybe they didn't get that experience in college or you know maybe they didn't study engineering or maybe you know they just don't fit our cult what we would call a culture fit um, which is coded language for they don't look or act like us (laughs) Um, right yeah and any of those things if you don't meet that very narrow level level of expectation can be disqualifying um, and we get less room for error than other than other candidates yeah that's right as we can see yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry i started thinking about who occupies uh the white <laughs> house because any of the antics that oh barack obama tried to do if oh, no. he was that person <laughs> oh wow I mean, <laughs> he he wore a tan suit, and that was, that was a, the scandal. That was an effort. So, right, <laughs> exactly. Anywho, let's get off of there. So, you have uh, so you have four um beautiful children, and um, you are a father, a black man who is in the tech world. 
Now, because we need more of us in that world, are you trying to get your children to veer into that lane as well? Also, are there any video games that someone has developed that can help our children to learn tech through video games? Yeah, so as the father of four young children, yeah, it, they're, they're, you know, my son is at the age where he is asking questions about what I, what I'm doing. So if I'm, if I happen to be coding, he'll, yesterday, for example, he was looking at my text editor that I was using and seeing the different keys I was pushing and wanted to learn kind of how to move the cursor around and what was like, it's not the traditional uh, text editor. And there happened right. to be a game online that I could point him to. And it, it was like a adventure game where you use the keys on the keyboard to move around like you would in the text editor. And he spent about an hour just exploring that. That's cool. Um, and I thought that was, you know, really interesting uh, because I use that very same game to learn how to use the text editor myself. Um, and it, it's called Vim Adventures, for example. And, 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 I have tried to expose them earlier to things that I learned at a later age. Uh, and, you know, one of the, one of the tools that I've used is called the, the Kano computer, K-A-N-O. And it allows you, it's basically a kit that allows you to build a small computer and mm-hmm. with, with your child or the child can build it themselves depending on how, how old they are. And then once mm-hmm. you plug it in, it has um, customized software which is you know, a flavor of Linux, which is an open source software um, operating system that the, the, the child is presented with tools that help them play Minecraft. But instead of just playing Minecraft, you have to, you use uh, a tool to build, use coding blocks to build um, specific things like a, a fortress. So you might build the tower or the, the moat or the castle um, within the fortress, and you're using coding blocks. So they don't really know they're coding, but they actually are because they're dragging and dropping these coding blocks that will teach them, you know, things like if else and, and loops and different concepts that you use in coding, and cool. um, different things that are, you know, games that are using, you know, physics. So they learn kind of concepts of physics. Um, there's also a kind of a a self uh, kind of an RPG role-playing game where you can explore the, the inner workings of a computer um, as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, there, you know, there's different tools and you don't have to necessarily buy them a computer. You can use a, your tablet and play games like coding cart, which is a, like a logic based coding game where you trying to get a, a race cart to the end of, to the, to the end of a track. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then Khan Academy where you have like, games and tools and lessons to teach them different concepts um, in STEM. So I think it's really more important instead of, you know, just teaching them coding, but just teaching them different concepts of STEM and then um, seeing where their interests may, may lie and, and going from there. Yes. And I'm, and I'm, I'm very excited that STEM has now turned into STEAM. Yeah. I will tell me about what do you, what are your thoughts about that? For those who don't understand what STEAM is, can you please break it down for them? <laughs> uh, let me see. So what's the science, technology? Um, what does the E stand for? 
trying to remember. Uh, I thought the E was for uh, electronics. Yeah. Was it is science, technology, electronics, arts, math? Yeah. Or no? I think that's what it is. Uh, I'm, oh, it's engineering. 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 There we go. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, engineering. engineering. Oh, yeah. yeah, I should know that one. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's important. I think, you know, there are aspects of learning the arts that can be applied to learning engineering. Um, right. Which you said at the beginning of the very initial conversation that we had. Yeah. And like anything, you know, the one of the when you're learning anything, whether it's a sport or it's engineering or it's the arts, there's a lot of repetition involved. Um, repetition and mm-hmm. you know Chris you you were in band and you knew what it was like playing the same notes and the 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 scale over and over again right. and those building blocks are then used for you to then uh, start creating your own music and starting to um, just uh, you know whether it's jazz or hip-hop and so all of those basics are important the same thing applies in 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 engineering. So the building blocks that you may learn, whether it's in software engineering, or in my case, when I studied electrical and computer engineering, are then applied to more complex concepts. So that allow you to build more complex systems. Um, so I think it's important that we have a focus on on steam. Uh, because, you know, there, there are various avenues that you can go in, and they're all interrelated. Um, Mm-hmm. Whether you're in tech and you, you're building um, something that's uh, science related, so you're going to be biotech, and that's a fast growing field uh, right now. Um, because, you know, look at where we are in the middle of a pandemic. Whoever can develop mm-hmm. the, the best and safest vaccine um, as quickly as possible will be successful from an entrepreneurial perspective, right? The company that does that. Right. Um, to the arts. And so when you're doing arts, it's not just about creating your music, but it can also be about how are you going to market it? Well, you Mm. probably need to build, you know, you might have a SoundCloud, you may have a website. Um, There's there's that technical aspect that you want to think about as well to um, engineering. And and they're all, they're so, they're interconnected. Like I spend less time thinking about, and when I'm building a web application, you know, how this line of code is going to work with that line of code and more about, okay, how does this look aesthetically? Will a user want to go to the next step of this flow based on where the button is, based on the, the copy, the text? Does it, does it evoke a certain response where they, they're feeling a, a good about, a positive feeling about the product? So there is not just um, ones and zeros in my world. It's also the psychology as well. So, you know, STEAM is important, but we can't forget the humanities uh, as well, which I think what really makes great engineers are the ones that have those soft skills, the ability to communicate, the ability to write effectively and concisely, the ability to to listen and not just mm-hmm. think it's a, what's more important that, is that you win, but really that the best idea um, wins. Uh, so right. all of those pieces are important as, you know, as you educate yourself and then you get into the real world and see that um, it's not always just cut and dry. Right. Guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> and all right. Um, I oh, did, you, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. 
Go ahead. No, go ahead, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just um wanted to know just your your view of uh just looking at Atlanta as a whole, like it, Atlanta has grown um in two areas with being film, of course music music is always here, but uh tech as well. And a lot of times people would have to would graduate or, you know, and move to San Francisco or Silicon Valley. Um, like, do you, like, how do you think, um, just being someone who's really in it, like, how do you, th- where do you see this taking the city as a whole? Uh, you a lot. Yeah, I mean, as, as someone, and you, you and I can both attest to it, as someone that has grown up in Atlanta, uh, it has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, just even in the past 10 years. So 10 years ago, I was building my first company. Um, the, the startup community was extremely small. And if you really wanted to be successful, you were, you're, you were trying to get out to Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, um, because that's where the money was. That's where you'd find talent to help you build whatever you're trying to build. Um, and that's where the mindset was, right? So the mindset to, to build, to be audacious and to build something um, crazy and, and, and potentially disruptive. Um, while the, the mindset in Atlanta was extremely, you know, we did have a lot of tech companies. So like we had talent, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, um, University of Georgia, but the mindset wasn't necessarily there. Um, that coming out of school that, or coming out of anything that you would start building a company. That has definitely changed. And the makeup of the companies as well um, that I've had the opportunity, for example, to mentor, there's so many more people of color that are starting tech companies. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. they're going through what I went through 10 years ago, five years ago. And so I'm in a unique position that where I can say, hey, don't focus too much on X because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Um, don't focus too much on finding, if you're not technical, don't focus too much on finding a technical, technical co-founder because they're tools that you can use now to build your product without, without necessarily needing a very um, uh, technical engineer. Um, mm-hmm. So the landscape has changed so much and people are moving out of Silicon Valley and looking for places that offer the amazing things like Atlanta or other cities offer where the cost of living is not exorbitant. Um, You can, there, there's plenty of talent in terms of tech talent, engineering talent, artistic talent. Uh, And the community is there. So that's another thing too, you know, depending on where you want to go, you can go to Buckhead and there's Atlanta tech village. You can go, um, Further in town, there's switch yards. Gathering spot. You can go gathering spot. You can go to, you know, back in the day, I had Hypopotamus, which was like a, a little basement. Um, but there's so many different co-working technology startup spaces now than there ever was. And it, depending on your, depending on your, your interests and what, you know, whether you're building a consumer business or, or a B2B uh, company, you can go and find people that are doing something similar and use that energy and feed into that energy to help you as you're build as you're going through the, you know, what is a very daunting task of building a company. Yeah. Uh, so Atlanta is, it's up there. Um, I'm biased. It's my number one. Um, uh-huh. 
but you know there are other cities too that are like austin yeah. um you know other cities in the northeast that aren't necessarily you know as expensive as well um and, and, and the, the opportunities there the communities there uh and even the investors are starting to catch up a little bit realizing that hey we should we don't have to require you to move to silicon valley now we want we want you to actually um, save your money and use the money that we invest in your company to build your business rather than paying, you know, $10,000 a month in rent. Uh, so there are definitely some benefits now to Atlanta that, that didn't exist five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And, um, I, I saw, um, it was supposed to break ground this year, but cause of COVID it got postponed, but, um, TI purchased, um, it was an old, it's an old grocery store lot. It's right off Bankhead. And, um, it's a big lot where oh, this old grocery store. You, well, there's a grocery store still there, but it's you know closed down. But he's turning it into a um, a uh, live work tech hub. So I guess like I guess it'll be some housing there, but it's also going to be kind of like an Atlanta tech village where he wants black st- tech startups to um, to use as an incubator and stuff. So um, you know, it's like you have people like that investing. In especially in an area like Bankhead, where like, hey, like, come over here and help add value to the community. So that's yeah. So yeah, and then that kind of brings. And, go ahead, Dan. No, I want you to finish, please. Yeah. That, well, the one thing I want to say too is just you know, the notion that you have to give up your day job, or you if you're unable to take that entire plunge. Um, to start building a company is is old news now. It's just antiquated mm-hmm. and obsolete. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, the best way that you can, you know, leverage the the ability to continue building, really, what 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 causes the demise of most companies is that either entrepreneurs they they quit, they quit because they get tired of it, they're burned out. Um, they run out of money. One way you can prevent that is by keeping some source of income until your business is, is able to make some money. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you can keep doing that indefinitely until you've reached a breaking point where, hey, um, if I make the leap, I can double my company, double the size of my company or triple the size of my company. And you don't have to make, you know, in six months, it could be a year, it could be two years. Uh, so the whole notion that entrepreneurs now that they've, they have to put everything on their credit card and take the leap and, and accrue a ton of debt just to make their dreams come true. That for me is a misnomer. It's a, it's not, it's not the reality of most entrepreneurs. Uh, have to do And that's the actual truth. Yeah. It's, and it's not, and the old way is just being just an old way for a lot of things as far as you know going back to what you were saying as far as silicon valley and uh people going out there as far as me being in the film world there you know people that are in la there's so many people that i've met here that have moved from la because you are getting a better opportunity here in atlanta because atlanta is pretty much the east coast uh, version of la if not better um you also have the cost of living which is definitely uh, not the same amount that you would get if you were to live in LA on the West Coast. Um, and also with being a, an independent filmmaker, you know, you do you have to go to school? 
you don't have to go to school, you know? So just like you were saying with these startups, you know, they're doing, you could do a lot more than now than you were able to do 10, 15 years ago because of how the world is, is, is vastly changing and moving. And with that being said, because we live in the wonder world of Wakanda here in Atlanta, um, you know, I think there should definitely continue to be a space for techs here. And, you know, if we can not rival Silicon Valley somewhere, I believe that's something that can happen here in the wonderful world of Wakanda. Now, speaking of Wakanda, that movie was a beautiful movie that brought a lot of us together. And we're so excited because it's something that we've never seen um, when it comes to as far as how we looked, how we talked, and also with the tech world. And as you being a tech guy, I want to know what does technology will look like 20 years from now? So basically, in what she was doing in Wakanda, is it very similar to what that will be in 20 years or was that a little altered? Oh, man. Yeah. Wakanda's technology is, is, is super dope. And 20 years, we probably couldn't even get close to that. But um, I think... Uh, in terms of the outlook for 20 years from now, you know, I'm, I feel pretty bullish on self-driving cars. I think, you know, we will see a higher percentage of cars that are self-driving. Um, I see, at least in my tech bubble, I'm seeing a lot of advances in artificial intelligence to the point where I would be concerned if you happen to be in, 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 any of the, uh, I guess, any of the, 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 the professions that are writing things a lot, mm. um, because you could literally take previously written, you know, you're in film, so scripts, right. Give that to the train, the AI and say, Hey, you know, give me something give me a, a twist on Pocahontas that uses people in space and they'd write an avatar mm -hmm. type movie. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, we're going to see more of that. And um, I'm, I think we're also going to see like we are seeing now uh, that it's been accelerated by the pandemic. We're going to see a, a further concentration of, of power with companies that own and mine your data. Um, yeah, and I'm hoping that we'll see some some more advances in um, in the biotech sphere that can help people, you know, with chronic diseases and um, fighting cancer, things of that nature. But uh, I think the the future is going to look a lot like it is now. Um, but there's going to be, you know, how our phone is essentially an interface between us and the internet, mm -hmm. the world. Um, we may be seeing a tighter integration between our phones where, you know, it could be nanotechnology, uh, more of a kind of a cyborg where you're taking that interface and making it, tying it closer to our brain so that we don't have to necessarily use our fingers to, to ask Alexa or Google things, but maybe we can use our brain waves to do that uh, in the future. So, mm. Um, both really interesting and also potentially scary at the same exactly. time. Exactly. When you said brain waves, that just took me to another dimension. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Elon Musk is trying to develop a lot of that kind of stuff. That's that's interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. And even the, the AI project that I, you know, was referring to is um, by OpenAI, which is an Elon, another Elon Musk um, oh, wow. funded or supported project. So uh, the world, the world is definitely, I think, you know, going to be changed by artificial intelligence in ways that we have no idea about right now. Um, but we're, we're really in the early days. So right now we're good. Okay. Okay. And it, it must, I mean, and let me ask you, cause you guys are parents. I am not. So as we are, like you said, you know, we know about global warming. We have so many people that believe that it's a myth. It's something, you know, and there's so many people that are talking about, um, the uh, birth rate for African-Americans but there are a lot of individuals who right now that don't want to bring children into this world because of everything that's going on. And, and with you, Don, um, you had this beautiful letter that I read that Damien and me, a letter to my son when, uh, when he was two years old. And to me, it was a well-written, beautiful love letter to your son that also gave him, a hard dose of what reality may look like for him growing up as a biracial man, but still will be seen as a black man. So how is it that, you know, you got, well, first for you, Don, as you being the guest, what difficulties uh, is it, you know, raising biracial children and how afraid are you for your children in the future with things that the way they are right now? Oof. Um, you're getting me all emotional just even thinking about it. But for me, you know, and Chris and I have had, I guess, our little discussions on social media about yeah. this. Uh, it's, uh, it's very challenging, especially in this climate. And um, in recent months, I've abandoned, I've completely abandoned my whole, let me sugarcoat this a little bit and speak to him like a child um, approach in favor of just, this is how it is. This is why daddy's crying. Um, this is why, you know, we're seeing those images on the television and your, you know, mommy and I are talking about these very serious things because it is very serious. And, um, I want him to know that although it may not feel, it may not feel, you know, he may not see overt racism. He needs to understand that it exists. And the, the, the people that will deny that racism exists will put that burden of proof on you. And you have to, you have to avoid that level of discourse and find a way to, you know, be proud of who you are. You are biracial. You come from both, you know, a Jamaican father and a Greek, Greek American mother, um, while also owning the fact that you will be perceived as black. And so, you know, it won't necessarily be easy. You may enjoy some of the benefits of being, you know, white, while also some of the benefits of being black and the disadvantages of both. Um, so yeah, it's something that, you know, especially in this climate, I'm extremely concerned. Um, I see, 
I can see how people, you know, will think that we live in a post-racial society. They, they look at, they look at me, they look at my family, they look at our success. They even say, oh, you know, 30 years ago, you wouldn't be, even be able to get married in the deep South. Um, and then, but we also see the reality of the images, you know, if you're driving, if you're running, if you're, you know, playing in the park, playing basketball, whatever it may be, it's more dangerous to be a black person um, in America than it is to be anyone else. And so um, it's a tricky subject that I've doing what I can to educate my children about in a real way, because talking to them like children doesn't make sense. They, they understand. Uh, and I think um, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will get better, but they won't get better if we just sit there and hope that they'll get better. Uh, so, you know, I know, you know, I took my kids to a protest um, last month and they were hot. They were, I was pushing a stroller. They weren't happy. <laughs> uh, but I told them, here's why we're doing this. And uh, I think, you know, it's important that we not only talk, talk the talk, but we walk the walk uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, just going, just backing up, like, you know, just me having an autistic son. Um, I'm sorry. The last thing you were saying was um, you when Don was uh, saying that basically you have to make sure you do the work and don't just basically talk about it. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. So, yeah, we just, you know, we just have to be proactive about <clears throat> being real, with, being real with our kids, equipping them with as much knowledge and empowerment as possible and, um, you know, embracing uh, who we are and embracing diversity and then uh, just spreading love. And but also you know, letting know like, hey, this is this this is the reality. So yeah. Um Yeah. And and there you go. There you have it. And it was uh a, a word from both of you, you know, being uh black men in this country with uh children. So I appreciate uh your honesty in in, in being open about that. And uh this has been another edition of Beats and Real Talk. Once again, I am Danny, the filmmaker, repping Philly and living that ATL life. This is Mr. Coleman ATL. And uh, we uh, we just appreciate um, our guests for being here today, taking time out of his busy schedule. Thank you so much. This has been an awesome, awesome discussion. Thank you so much for having me. All righty. And Don, if there's anything else that you want to say, please say it and also let anyone know that would like to uh, connect with you in any kind of way if they want to get any uh, information and know about any type of mentorship or anything. Can you please give that information as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so if you want to learn more about me, you can uh, check out my website, donpottinger.net and uh, hit me on Twitter if you have any questions about tech, um, entrepreneurship, building products, Google, um, having four kids and trying to manage all of that, uh, <laughs> don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome, awesome.
That is beautiful. Well, thanks again for uh, giving us your time, Don, out of your busy schedule, being a father, a husband, and a computer engineer. That's a lot of juggling, but you are the man that's able to do it. We appreciate you and keep doing a good job that you're doing for us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right.